Welcome, everyone, to the Extra Credit Card in Banking podcast. This is Josh Trumbull and Craig Lashapel. This is our second podcast of the year where we touch on some key trends and themes driving activity in the card and banking space in 2022. Ultimately, Josh Turnbull and myself will put our necks on the line and make some predictions for 2022. So that being said, Josh, uh, why don't we recap what we touched on in our last podcast where Paul Siegfried came on and shared what he saw as key developments in 2021. I will. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, do go back and, and check that out with Paul giving his thoughts on what we just experienced in the last year. Um, Craig, I don't know about you, but I left that recording with Paul and spent an embarrassing amount of time trying to find old episodes of Laverne and Shirley to stream and was was unsuccessful. But um, short of that, you know, really, I think his comments on consumers and consumers driving the the economic recovery and what we expect to see really resounded. And certainly, I think we're also going to touch on the point in, in our comments today that he made around you know, some of the, the regional banks, larger community banks and credit unions uh, really doubling down on credit card and, and why that is. So uh, really, as always, enjoyed his comments. Craig, let's get into the meat of, of what we're doing here today. And if you listen to the last episode, again, that was really focused on what we saw in 21 and what that means. And the rest of the time today, Craig and I are going to walk through what we're observing and, and translate that into predictions of of what we expect in the year ahead. And uh, Craig, you know, not to to get weird and religious here, but uh, uh, you know, in in the Talmud, that ancient body of, of wisdom and biblical exegesis, the rabbis write that after the the destruction of the Second Temple, the gift of prophecy was given to fools. So. Uh, you know, I feel as though this is nothing short of you and me being called by God to embark on this uh, this holy work that we're about here to we're about ready to do here in uh, making our predictions for the year. Wow! So with with that with that bar set. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I I have to say, uh, first of all, I have to go back and read that. That's that's interesting. I have to take a look at that one. So why don't I do this? Why don't you and I both uh, recap? You know the trends and developments driving our predictions. I think Josh, we agree to focus it on four areas. First one being consumer economic health and behavior. Second one, key government and regulatory trends. The third, competitive developments, and then the fourth category, external or exogenous influences. So that being said, let me be Craig Cohen. I'll take the first two: uh, consumer health and key government and regulatory trends. Let's do it. So in the consumer economic and space, including consumer behavior, and what we've seen is, you know, the reopening spurred by declining COVID risks, vaccination and warm, warmer weather in the northern U.S. led to a remarkable return uh, to markets, you know, really driven by or supported by significant economic growth in 2021. I, I think everyone's aware of that. Now, we did have some supply chain issues um, with potentially excess government liquidity, and and that really drove inflation. Inflation jumped jumped significantly. In in January, uh, I think it's at 7% year over year. Now, that's up from 1.4% rate at the beginning of 2021, so it's moved materially. GDP 
was 2.3% uh, in Q3 in the US, but you know, as driven by the reopening that I mentioned before, Q2 GDP growth was up almost 7% year over year. So we saw a bounce back, a little bit moderation with the supply chain issues in GDP. You know, from a consumer confidence perspective, that has been uh, growing month over month since we reached the seventh month low in, I think it was either August or September. So we have been seeing month over month increases. And despite what's been happening, the consumer has become more confident. Now, if we want to get card specific from a market and behavior perspective, in 2021, we continue to see record payments from consumers. We saw balances, average balances, and even total balances continue to decline, at least through uh, Q3. But they really started at the bottom and they reversed by the end of the year, at least specifically average balances, but also total balances have started to tick up as well. We saw continued decreases in delinquency, you know, through the end of uh, 2020, coming into uh, 2021. However, you know, these um, delinquencies have begun to increase month over month, starting in Q4. Um, we're still near historic lows, but they're, you know, and, and they're well below the what I call the two percent threshold. Um, but they are increasing month over month, and that's something that our customers are you know, increasingly aware of. Finally, from a card perspective, saw record originations in Q2. If you look at the year-over-year -year quarterly growth, it's quirky. We'll never see that again. It was 125% growth, but that was because of a very odd, almost all-time low, at least in the last 10 years, comparable in Q2 of 2020. We're likely to see uh, near record growth in Q3. Again, if we look at you know the data we see that we're privy to from uh, a marketing perspective, but also from an online inquiry perspective, Q3 is likely to have record originations as well. We're also starting to see our customers consider updating their value proposition in terms of rewards, rates, and fees because they're really trying to drive growth. And I think it's because it, it's not necessarily serving unaddressed need anymore. They're having to compete with other issuers, but they're also needing to compete to retain their customers. So they're really trying to optimize value proposition, both for prospecting and, and retention. All right. So I think we covered uh, a lot of the trends and considerations of consumer health behavior. So from a government and regulatory trends perspective, 2021 was an interesting year with the new administration getting its footing and a new director of the CFPB and Rohit Chopra. Now, the discussions that we've seen emanating from Washington, Washington point more to enforcement of existing regulations, including UDAP, and more rulemaking for application of existing regulations versus perhaps uh, a lot of new regulations being passed. But 2022 does bring an interesting new dynamic as midterm elections will be the focus in the second half of the year. So we think the beginning of 22 will be busy. Again, we think the emphasis will likely be on oversight versus legislative 
And during the summer, the attention will shift to upcoming elections. So Josh, let me transition over to you. I've talked enough, I need a glass of water. Why don't you go through competition and exogenous influences? I will do that. So from a competitive development standpoint, Craig, a couple of things that, that I've been thinking about. One, just the sheer pace of M&A that we saw in 21, and if that'll continue into 22. A couple of things that that you know we think drove the record number of deals that we saw in 21. First, there's just kind of this general pace of M&A that happens, but we saw that really retract in 2020, which makes sense. If I'm worried that the, the world's falling apart and I'm, I'm trying to figure out if my portfolio is going to dissolve or not, the last thing I want to do is pull in someone else's portfolio. So some of what we saw in 21 was just pent up demand or some of the M&A that would have happened naturally in 2020 and catching up. Um, but beyond that, there's, there's a lot going on in the environment that's driving this. You've got slower loan growth, a challenging rate environment. Um, you know, McKinsey says that over half of global banks right now have a negative ROE, a return on equity. Certainly, you know, outside of the, the largest banks, credit unions and community banks as a class, uh, you know, they haven't done as well with younger people entering the workforce and they need to figure that out. And so figuring that out is going to require digital capabilities that, that need a certain amount of scale or the right partners to, to bring to market. So a lot of that really driving some of the, the M&A that we saw in 21. Uh, we saw credit unions looking at banks, which can offer, often be an easier acquisition than two credit unions combining. Uh, but some of the state regulators are increasingly skeptical of those transactions, and we've seen that play out just in the last couple of weeks. Uh, but a lot of really consequential deals, you know, in the credit union space, uh, Bystar, Green State, among many of the, the credit unions that we saw do some kind of transaction. And certainly on the bank side, uh, M&T. You know, the combination of Old National and First Midwest that's underway, the announced combination of, of Columbia and Umpqua uh, in, in the Pacific Northwest, really, you know, starting to see an emergence of, of a whole new list of uh, what are, are effectively super regional banks. So saw a lot of that in 21, and, and I'll get a little bit more into this in a second when we, we kind of make our bets, but expect that to continue into 22. Yeah, Josh, it's it's interesting that I, I will say, at least from a larger issuer perspective or a larger bank perspective, it might be a little bit of a tale of uh, two different customer sets. You know, we see increasing regulatory scrutiny, both from uh, Congress and perhaps um, from the Fed as they get pressure uh, from Congress, and as well as from the FDIC on some of these larger bank mergers. So, you know, once you get above perhaps the $10 billion threshold in terms of total assets, I think the scrutiny is going to be a lot more intense. Yep. No, I, I, I believe that. And, and um, you know, even slightly under that, I don't think it's going to get any easier from a, a regulatory standpoint to get those deals approved. But I, I do, uh, at least in the, the community institutions, expect that to continue. Uh, Craig, the other thing I'll, I'll touch on from a competitive standpoint, and won't spend a ton of time here because there are lots of people talking about it, but certainly buy now, pay later. Um, to your point, it'll be interesting to see to what extent the CFPB and, and the request for data they put out there in December, uh, what happens there and what they decide to, to look into or do. Um, when we look at the data in terms of, of buy now, pay later transactions and who's using those, it appears as though that hasn't really eaten into card spend. Um, certainly, 
you know, thinking about the year ahead, it wouldn't surprise me to see some consolidation in some of the buy now, pay later players. Uh, and then, you know, I think the, the last point I'll make on buy now, pay later is uh, I absolutely expect to see some of the, the banks and credit unions try and figure out a way where they can insert themselves into the transaction stream kind of more upfront to either do exactly what the buy now, pay later folks are doing or, or somehow kind of compete uh, for that business. So, so lots to watch there in the year ahead. The other, the other piece that we're looking at, Craig, here is, is external influences and just, you know, kind of the way the dialogue is shaping in the industry. A couple of things I wanted to touch on here. One is financial inclusion. Now, this, this certainly is not a, a new theme. Uh, we talked about that in the last episode with Paul, and he shared his thoughts on how that's changed over the past 10 years. Uh, Jennifer Tesher, who, who runs the Financial Health Network, you know, she has largely been the one driving a lot of this conversation for the past 20 years. And based on the premise that uh, technology can really reduce the cost of delivery and the ability of financial services firms to better serve the entirety of the population, and some institutions have always done this, but what we're seeing um, is, is really a, a change in how many folks think about that. So instead of having a, an office or a person or an initiative focused on financial inclusion, we're really seeing that woven into just the, the basic way that people think about serving consumers um, throughout their products. Josh, on that point, yeah. you know, in the past, it seems like every five, maybe every 10, 10 or so years, um, you know, universe expansion and financial inclusion in the past had become a focus. I see it a little differently now because these are issues that have board level visibility. So I think there's a little bit more staying power. And I think these probably become an important driver as our customers focus on building up their balances. I agree. And, and I think, you know, technology's changed and the data has changed uh, that help our customers better serve folks. And I think it's also less about these, these binary opposites of banked or unbanked that, that used to characterize this conversation several years ago. And it's more about now just serving consumers well and understanding who consumers are. Uh, to your point on the staying power, we ended 2021 with 30% of the scores that were returning to credit unions and, and community and regional banks being trended scores. That's something that helps them better serve and bring more consumers into uh, credit products at, at more affordable rates, right? But that's not a that's not a special project. That's not a standalone product that they're offering. That's a fundamental way that they've changed um, the underwriting of their credit products. And, and that's integrated into the fabric of their business, which I think gets right to your point on uh, the staying power and, and how this is being integrated. The last thing I want to touch on here is what we see happening in deposit accounts. And that's that's something that you and I spend a, a good amount of time watching and, and talking about with customers. The changes we saw to overdraft programs and the approaches to deposit portfolios this year were pretty profound. Some of that was driven by external factors. So whether that's consumer sentiment or pressure from some of the consumer advocates who've long focused on, on overdraft fees and practices, 
Some of it was driven by institutions just wanting to, you know, do better by their customers. Um, but some some consequential institutions that announced they were eliminating overdraft fees or coming up with new and innovative programs to allow customers to avoid overdraft fees or, or what have you. Historically, financial institutions have taken one of two approaches. One is they're comfortable with deposit accounts as a loss leader because that's the key to having a deeper relationship with the consumer and that deeper relationship is, is what's profitable. Or you have a deposit portfolio and it's a small handful of people paying a lot of overdraft fees and a small handful of people with a pretty high balance where they make some money on the spread that subsidizes the entire portfolio. And I think those days are numbered. So this is the year when credit unions and banks, I think, really have to, to do some thinking about that if they haven't already and figure out, are they coming up with new value propositions? Do they need to figure out cross-sell? Do they need to introduce new products that are an alternative to overdraft? Uh, could be a mix of all those, but, but we're going to see a lot of movement this year, I, I suspect. Great, Josh. I think that concludes our recap or summary of key things that we see driving activity in 2022. So, Josh, before we lose the audience, let's move into specific predictions for 22. I'll cover the same two topics, and then you can finish up with yours as well. Sounds like a plan. So let's drive in. So consumer economic health and behavior. I'm going to say inflation remains above 3%. Uh, at the end of next year. And inflation is not entirely transitory. Um, and it is going to uh, continue to be slightly elevated versus recent historic, given some continued supply chain issues and you know the impact of what I'd say is excess liquidity in the system continues, certainly. From a banking perspective, you know, originations. Now, originations is funny because we originations numbers are reported at a quarter lag. So when I look at things, I'm going to look at the next four quarters. So that means we have Q2 originations. We don't have Q3 originations yet. So I'm going to look at Q3, Q4, Q1, and Q2 of next year when I make these predictions. I think we're going to see another quarterly all-time high in one of those uh, next four quarters spurred by continued economic expansion, continued marketing using those refined and targeted value propositions that I mentioned. And there is going to be a little bit more, call it return, churn or switching. Um, I would say from a total perspective in the next four quarters, we are going to have historic performance. This is me going out a little bit on the limb. You know, if we compare it to any four quarter, uh, you know, continuous quarter in recent history. And I think that's probably the high. It was the end of 2016, beginning of 2017. It's going to exceed that. So we're going to have record origination performance in the next four quarters. Final point, delinquency. You know, when we say delinquency in the card space, we're talking 90 plus past due. That continues to increase, it's our prediction, but remains well below, below that 2% threshold. Let's say it finishes at 1.75%. That gets us roughly uh, where we were in 2019. Let's move to the next category, key government and regulatory trends. We're going to see significant developments in 22, a uh, couple of areas. One, 
the CFPB will issue rules for accessing consumer information governing execution of Dodd-Frank 1033, specifically giving more support for open banking, allowing consumers to access and control access to their financial records. I'll move and get myself perhaps in a little trouble going to the political arena. Let's talk midterms. Traditionally, form holds, governing party will lose seats in the midterm elections. Uh, it's not going out on the limb, this next one, but I'm going to say control of the House will flip from Democratic majority to Republican majority. Now, the Senate's a little more difficult. I'd almost like to say too close to call. You know, there's some trends working uh, against the Democrats, but what's in their favor is the sheer numbers of uh, open, not open seats, but seats that are up for election that fall into the Republican camp versus the Democratic camp. That being said, it's not an overwhelming change. I'm going to say the Senate flips, but it's going to be really close, like 51-49. Who knows? Maybe it's 50-50. All right, that's my set of predictions. And hopefully in December, we can come back. We can give ourselves a report card on, on these. And, you know, it would be great if I got an A and you did. Now, you're yeah. up, Josh. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. So, and and now too, Craig, we we've talked religion and politics. So I think our, our mothers would be so what's left there and the, the things that we're not supposed to talk about. Um, you know, on the competitive front, Craig, I think this is going to be the year of the credit card for credit unions and regional banks. Paul mentioned a little bit about this in in the last episode. Given the challenges elsewhere with loan growth, with yields data that allows them to better target folks. Certainly the pressure they're feeling from some of the, the neobanks in terms of needing to secure primary relationship status and the ability of a credit card to help them do that. Uh, you know, credit card, we're going to see a lot with credit cards and people trying to blow the dust off of credit card programs that have been sitting there for quite a while. Um, so this is something that can be a profitable lending business for those institutions if done right. And, and you know, my prediction is that that we are going to spend a lot of time helping customers really reinvigorate credit card programs over the months ahead. Another prediction from on the, the kind of competitive front, I'm going to say that we see at least three you know, regional banks, large community bank or, or large credit unions announce moves to upstart cores. In the last year, Fifth Third announced that they were moving to the FIS Modern Banking Platform. You saw Vistar announcing the investment in Nimbus. That thought machine burst onto the scene. Um, this, this is going to be a year where I predict you start to see some traction, as painful as it is, to, to migrate cores uh, with some of our customers looking to the future, looking to what they need to do, and, uh, and moving to some of these upstarts. The last thing in competitive developments, it said this earlier, but from a, a you know, number standpoint, say that we will see more deals in 22 than we did in 21 when it comes to, to bank and credit union M&A. Um, we will continue to see kind of this, this newish super regional uh, bank emerge, as well as some of the, the credit unions, larger mid-sized credit unions combined to really try and, and drive scale and ensure relevance going forward. So Josh, I'm going to say that one is going to be interesting. I think that one, I think you got you took the most risk, the most guts uh, on making a prediction because that one is is uh, it's going to be interesting on the number of, of M and A deals. 
We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Or or maybe maybe I should have split that into attempted versus versus successful, Craig. But uh, we'll we'll see as the year goes on. The last couple of things, Craig, that I'll I'll kind of go out here on a, a little bit of a limb on. Um, I mentioned earlier in the community FI space, so credit unions, community banks, regional banks. It was it was in some ways mind blowing that we went in about a year from less than ten percent of the risk scores that were returning to those folks being the what I would call legacy scores to trended credit scores. Looking at how people's credit performance changes over time, um, went from they got less than ten percent, ended the year at thirty percent. You and I and everyone listening to this knows that the financial institutions are not known for moving quickly, but I'm going to say that we end the year at over half the scores returning being trended scores. Um, it's key to growing loans, but it's also in line with the financial inclusion goals that you talked about. If you haven't seen it, Vantage Score did a fascinating study looking at, at legacy scores, scoreability, and communities with higher percentages of people of color. And, uh, you know, I think it's things like that that, that that is going to drive uh, a lot of adoption of these scores in the year ahead. The last point I'll make here, and again, uh, hinted at this, but we are going to see the re-engineering of checking accounts. And that's that's going to be going from kind of, you know, Ron Shevlin, who I think is incredibly smart and witty, talks about uh, old school thinking on deposit accounts as really being kind of paycheck hotels and bill payment utilities, going from that to um, either a, a fee for service product or a vehicle really focused on on value added services at um, at least and, and probably more than than a few of the larger community FIs. So many of the big banks have already changed their practices. These institutions are facing competition from the neo banks, which have uh, very transparent and, and clear fee structures. You know, origination and servicing transactions are becoming more important uh, from, again, McKinsey cited that from 2014 to 2021, revenues from, you know, basically fee revenues went from 45 to 55% of revenues for banks versus balance sheet revenues. And we're already seeing the explosive growth of things like um, Savvy Money or our own Credit View dashboard, the, the financial wellness platforms or an ability to help consumers better understand and manage their identities and those types of things tied to checking accounts. So expect to see a lot of, of rethinking of what the checking account is and the business model behind that in the year ahead. Josh, for some reason, as you were droning on about external influences, I was thinking about scotch. And, and by, <laughs> by droning on, you meant waxing poetic, kind of. Because of those, those were the words you meant to choose. So extra special bonus coming to you in about a week, we'll be dropping a new episode, but it'll be a shorter episode. And Craig and I were thrilled to actually get some responses from our first episode that we recorded a few weeks ago. So uh, come back, listen to our answers to the questions that we got, and then we will be back in mid-February with our, our regularly scheduled program and an extra special guest. 